0: Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Good Good Golf podcast. Rod Murray with you is what I would have said and in fact did say a little over a month ago when we welcomed you and Porter to the podcast. As many of you know, that episode somehow finished up in the world of half-finished sentences and lost faxes. But we're not here to dwell on mistakes, especially when they're my mistakes. What we are here to do is correct the ledger with episode 37. And to do that, we'll shortly chat with the former touring professional turned TV commentator and promoter, of junior golf, Ewan Porter. Just before we bring you in, though, it's a big hello to my co host and stealer of golf books, Adrian Loglow. Oh, yes. You shamelessly helped mm-hmm. yourself to my copy of the match when you were here last week. I wasn't too upset, though, because it is for a good cause. Remind the listeners when they might expect to hear the next edition of the Good Good Book Club and while you're about to tell them about your website and where they can follow you on social media if they're real
1: glums. For sure. Well, next week we're recording the next episode of the Good Good Golf Podcast Book Club. Uh, we're recording, uh, we're, this week we're reviewing, we'll be reviewing The Match um, by Mark Frost, a much-requested book. Who's we? Uh, That is Lucas Michelle Mm -hmm. and and Derek Duncan. And host. What are you bringing? Uh, Not much. (laughs) Stolen. (laughs) Not not bringing much to the table. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, but we're really going to enjoy that. We've got some good feedback on Twitter. Actually, a lot of people are starting to read the book. If you haven't read the book yet, I'd encourage you to get a copy and uh, get stuck into it. Get don't, the, the audio book. Yeah. Actually, don't I've, ask I've, to borrow mine. I've done the audio book because, uh, it, and I no. borrowed Rod's. Rod's one. Rod can't play along because he hasn't got a copy. I don't have a book. That's ever. right. I'd have yeah. to get the audio book. Uh, looking forward to the book club. It is always a bit of a highlight. Where can people find you on social media? What's your website? Uh, just adrianloge. or at adrianloge on Twitter or at adrianloge on Instagram. You've kind of cornered the adrian cornered Logue the adrianloge
0: market. market. Yeah. Well done. Uh, enough out of you to our special guest today, who's gone from behind the camera to in front of it, though this past week he's been busy hanging with the legend that is Adam Scott up on the Sunshine Coast. He's a two-time winner on the US Secondary Tour, now a commentator, as I said, promoter of junior golf, and lately a convert to all things retro about the game, and as we found out just before we started recording, all things retro in life. He's an iPhone 4 user, mm-hmm. claims to have a dial-up phone. I'm not convinced about that. I'd like to see some photos. It's a warm welcome to you and Porter, hopefully Ewan... You've remembered everything from the dress rehearsal a few weeks back.
2: Yeah, I think we've got a few more things to add to it, but um, I can forgive you for that occasion, and uh, it's a pleasure to be on again.
0: Yeah, no, good. Uh, good of you to be so good to come back after we wasted your time last time. What are you doing hanging with Adam Scott up there? What's that
2: like? Yeah, I tell you what, it's been pretty. Uh, it's been pretty surreal, to be honest. I mean, had the colonial event on last week on the PGA Tour, heritage this week, and. Uh, you know, he's a winner on tour this year, Adam Scott, and he, he it appears to me that he'd rather be nowhere else but the Sunshine Coast right now. It's been uh, it's been great.
0: He would have felt vindicated when the Nick Watney, Watney story broke earlier this week too, I'm sure. He said quite openly that the reason he hasn't gone back yet is he's not convinced about the state of the virus in the US and the plans that the PGA Tour have put in place. I don't think that's a knock on the PGA Tour, but it's a reasonable stance to take under this. So what would you do if you were still playing yeah. Ewan?
2: Well, it was interesting. I, I think I'd be in the – well, I mean, someone like Adam – He doesn't, doesn't need the money, so his, that's
0: that's right, or status. It's a different decision for him, isn't it?
2: Different for him. If I was, you know, chasing, keeping my card, I'd probably – you know, you'd have no choice but to be out there grinding right now. But uh, I, I spoke to Adam yesterday at Twin Waters, and um, he was texting with Nick Watney yesterday morning. They're good friends. And Nick said he's in good spirits and feeling all right. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, you're right. I think I just um, – it indicates, as you said, what uh, Adam's decision was originally. But he's a little concerned because he has to do the two weeks quarantine yeah, when course. he goes over to the US before he gets going. And same with Lucas Herbert as well, who I played with on Friday. Um, Adam has uh, his two weeks quarantine in South Carolina, not too far from Hilton Head when he gets over there. And uh, South Carolina had over a thousand cases yesterday. So although he's going to be trying to do everything he can to, you know, limit the amount of contact he has with people, you know, it's still it's still definitely very concerning with all the travel that's involved to get there.
0: Young family. I was talking to Scott Hend about this. I did an interview with Scott Hend for another podcast I did, The Thing About Golf, Golf Australia. Go and have a look at that. Find it on the Talking Golf website. And he was just laying out what he was trying to consider for his plans to go back to Europe. And essentially, if he wants to go and play three tournaments, that's a month in quarantine either side. Yeah. It's two weeks when you get there before you go play, and then it's another two weeks when you come home. So there is literally... Three months without seeing his family. Yep. Better make yeah. a couple of cuts. Well, look,
2: I mean, the position that I'm in, to be honest with you, is from a broadcasting sense. Right now, it's very much the same for me because it's my job over there. I've got work with the European Tour. I've got work in the US. Yeah. I've just, I've just um, said no to all my PGA Tour live gigs. The US PGA Championship. I'm probably not going to go over for the US Open Championship. I'd rather, yes, it's costing me, when I say costing me, I could be earning money over there, there's no question about it, and it's a lot more than what the JobKeeper's paying. But in saying that, I'd rather, there's no better place in the world right now than Australia. I think we're doing a terrific job, and I'd rather just ride it out and wait till we get yeah. back to some sort of normality.
0: Tough break in your gig, though, you, and broadcasting's a difficult enough world as it is, you've made great headway in the last couple of years. The last thing you need is to have the brakes put on you from outside. Uh, at this point you really are starting to make some headway over there so that's a real shame i feel for you
2: yeah thanks rod yeah look i mean there's nothing that can be done i've just got to sort of hope that i've done enough to this point to to warrant being on people's radars going forward but um you know health and safety is the number one priority and uh, right now being here in uh, australia is about as good as it gets
0: yeah indeed what's adam scott really like he's always nice to us in the press but come on tell us what he's really like what's he say about (laughs) us when we're not around
2: Oh, I'd love to be able to dish some dirt
0: on him, but I just can't. <laughs> he's, he's too good at bloke. He is, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He is exactly how he comes across. I mean, I have not. don't pretend to know him personally, but you can tell some people put on a show in press conferences, and That you can tell Adam Scott doesn't. If anybody watched any of those nine holes with yeah. a mate thing that he's been doing, that's very, very much. Very genuine,
1: yeah. very authentic. He doesn't put on any pretense at all, does he? No. He's just, yeah. He oh, we're lucky to have him. He, so he, he is, is who on, he looks so
0: like. Sayon Rue over the weekend won the Korean donated her whole prize fund to Co. What a class act. How lucky are yeah. we to have. She's a pseudo Australian. She loves yeah. it here, and we, yeah. we love her. How lucky are we to have the likes of her and Adam Scott?
2: She did the same at the Victorian Open. This year. She finished runner up and donated all that money to the bushfire appeal.
0: Clayton had yeah. to talk her out of giving the, the, the whole, whole purse. check. Yeah. She was saying to Clates, "Oh, I should give the whole." And he said, "Hang on a minute, no, you've got to pay tax. There's other things. Don't give them the whole lot. Half is more than generous. You don't need to pay." Oh, okay, she said. So she gave half a
1: half a Australian Women's Open. Yeah, uh, it's Fantastic. And won the Korean Open. Korean Open yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yesterday. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, terrific player. Uh,
0: what have you been else? What else have you been doing apart from hanging with Adam Scott? So I suppose. Well, we know that you've got your junior fan, your junior event that you run. We, we'll come talk to that a bit later. I think Adam had a chat to you about that as well. I know junior golf is pretty close to his heart. You posted actually just on a tangent that uh, leaderboard from the Australian Junior was at ninety seven. Oh, and Alice Springs, wasn't? Where are you getting them from?
2: All yeah, those old paper uh, well, clippings. I'm right now. I'm uh, I'm writing this thing out at my mum's place here on the Sunshine Coast, and uh, she's got all the scrapbooks from. You know, when I first started playing golf and junior golf, and I'm only a couple of years younger than Adam, so there were a lot of tournaments where we competed uh, against one another. And uh, yeah, I was actually showing him that yesterday, and he was having he was having a laugh. And he's, you know, we're going through the list of names, and it was basically a "Where are they now?" Having a good laugh, and uh, yeah, it's um, there were a lot of talent on display in those days, but um, it was always Scotty and Bats One and Two.
0: They were always clearly a cut above. But you're right, there were some can't miss kids in there, weren't they? weren't there? who yeah. missed, which is golf. Yeah, Brad,
2: I mean, Brad McIntosh, uh, Richard Moyer, they were my age. They were the two guns back then. They won everything. And, uh, you know, Brad, unfortunately, never really went on with it. Richard played up in Asia for a couple of years, but without any great success and uh, nothing's a guarantee in golf. What's that about?
0: McIntosh shot 59, still the only player to have shot 59 on the PGA Tour of Australasia. Left-hander, yeah. great player out of Wollongong, as you say. I remember doing stories on him when he was a junior. What happens, Ewan? Because I think for most of us who are uh, recreational golfers, hobby golfers, as Dennis Pugh likes to call us, and wind up the crowds on Twitter when he was with us on Twitter, which uh, was the good old days, what happens? You're a good player. You're an unbelievably good player. Um, how do you not dominate the world? I've watched you play and thought, this guy's as good as anybody. In the world. What are those little differences that we don't understand, perhaps, as amateurs? Well
2: I think is. I actually think your comment right there probably puts a finger on it because you thought that. I never thought that. Uh-huh. And I think that I think that's your answer right there. And I think over time, I think a little bit of scar tissue builds up. And that little bit of scar tissue becomes so great that um when you've when you've faced a lot of adversity and you've got a lot of demons, it's really only the the strongest that will overcome that and i mean i was again i was talking about that with adam yesterday on the putting green and you know he was talking about all his different theories and thoughts on putting and what's gone through his mind over the years and to have achieved what he has you know you've obviously got to be mentally strong to overcome all of that because no one's averse to standing over a putt and or standing over a shot and not thinking about the uh, the bad result what what could come of it so i'd put it all down to what's going on upstairs
0: Do we, the golf public and the golf press, I'm in both of those camps, unfortunately. Logue's only in one. He's not working media, as he'll (laughs) tell you. Do we talk players into – did we talk Vijay Singh into thinking he was a bad putter? Did we do the same thing to Peter O'Malley? Have we done a bit of that to Adam Scott?
2: Um, To an extent because, again, I'll use Adam as an example. Have a think about it. You know, everyone talks about the poor putter that he's been over the years and how it's cost him. Look at the putty hole to win the Players' Championship. He hold a 40-footer to win the Byron Nelson Classic. He hold a 50-footer to win the Houston Open. All on the final green, all on the 72nd mm-hmm. hole. You don't do that if you're a bad putter. You don't win 31 professional events if you're a bad putter. And then, of course, look at the Masters. The Masters. 72nd green. Um, the playoff hole, the putt to win. You, you don't do all of that if you're a bad putter. So, 71st okay, green he's as missed well. His, he's missed his fair share, but he's also a hole more than he's missed. yeah.
0: yeah. I suppose the problem for Adam, is a bit the same for Peter O'Malley. You watch them swing the club. Well, you watch where Peter O'Malley used to hit it, which was just within 15 feet every hole, all day. So he's got the chance. But you watch Adam Scott swing the club and you think, well – with that golf swing. Kind of mechanical and yeah. stilted. And,
2: <laughs> with,
1: yeah.
0: with that golf swing, how could you not be the very best in the world? He must be a poor putter. And that too is wrong, isn't it? He hits his fair share of bad shots. In fact, you talked about the Players' Championship there, and he talked about it the other week. That rank hockey hit into the water on the eighteenth at Sawgrass was an awful golf shot.
2: Yeah, very unusual and uh, untimely, but, um, you know, he put it out of his mind enough to get up and down to win and, yeah, you know, Peter O'Malley. When I first turned pro, I uh, I played a few rounds with Peter, and he was obviously someone that I, uh, I looked up to very much as a as a kid, and the way he played and the way he conducted himself. And it's interesting he used those two guys because, especially Pete, he he did miss a lot of putts. You know, there's absolutely no question about that. But he wasn't a poor putter starting out. But the one thing I think is very commendable about both of them is gee, they conducted themselves well considering they missed so many putts. I mean, I've never seen either one go close to throwing a tantrum out on the golf course. I wish I could say the same about myself, but <laughs> yeah. it's far from
1: the truth. I watched Peter O'Malley win the late Macquarie amateur when he was obviously still an amateur, and uh, he hold more putts that day than I think I've ever seen anybody hole in my entire life, and 30-footers, 40-footers, and rock solid over the short putts, and I, I thought this is the most incredible golfer in the world because he was obviously striping it as well. Um And I, I was raving about his putting for years, and everyone's like, uh <laughs> so I think everyone's it was, like, no, Peter O'Malley's a great putter. <laughs> well, Robert Allenby's another example that beautiful, silky, smooth
0: stroke when he nearly won the Australian Open as an amateur. He was probably about as good a putter yep. as the world had ever seen. Yep. He's not uh, that good a putter now. I think it was Jeff Ogilvie said to us once that you can't grind over three footers in professional golf for 10 or 15, 20 years without it taking a toll. We forget that, don't we? We putt on Saturday mornings and Wednesday afternoons for Stableford points. When they really matter in what you're trying to do with your life, three-foot putts that don't go in, have to leave scar tissue, don't they? For a bowl of chips. That's important, bowl of chips, but yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's no question. I mean, I think as a professional golfer, if you can continue to putt as much like you did as a kid as possible, Mm -hmm. you probably will remain a pretty consistent putter throughout your career, but... When it when it is your career and and those putts mean something day after day week after week there's a lot of um there's a lot of it takes a big mental toll put it that way it's a
0: rare gift and I think Spieth talked about this the other day that's a rare gift isn't it to be able to play like a kid once you're playing in the big leagues for the
1: important stuff that's extremely that was difficult a to great do great little snippet wasn't it with Spieth where he was asked the question what would you go and tell yourself. Five years ago, or might have been ten years ago, or something like that. He was like, he gave it a lot of thought. Yeah, he did. And He, he was like, well, just keep playing how you're playing. Like, I, w- I wish I could think like that young kid did. Yeah, We're lucky in golf, aren't we? We've got a lot
0: of thoughtful play. We've just talked about a bunch of Adam Scott, Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy. We've talked yep. about here before. We're very lucky in golf, aren't we? You that our our best players, Nicholas, Tiger, as well. When he opens up, he hasn't done an awful lot of it. When he does. They're terrific, aren't they? They're thoughtful, they're articulate,
1: they're happy to share. We're quite lucky.
0: It's, not, it's a bit different to other sports. I think it's a very
1: cerebral sport, isn't it? Yeah. Nicholas said it was 90% mental at that level. The other 10% was mental, I think he said, yeah. wasn't
0: it? <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's the key to it. What else have you been up to, uh, Ewan, uh, since we spoke to you five weeks ago? You were squirreling away some on some things at the time. How's all that going? We won't Yeah, look,
2: away. I mean, uh, first of all, still, as you mentioned, working hard on the Junior Series. We're a couple of months away from uh, Explain that, that getting underway now.
0: Explain what it is for those who don't know.
2: The Adidas Golf Junior Sixes Invitational. Uh, last year was the inaugural event. We just had a two-day junior tournament down at Cronulla Golf Club in Sydney where I grew up. Uh, this year it's going to be a national series. Um, we do have an event in Victoria and one in Queensland and – that remains to be seen given the state of affairs in Victoria and the border closure here. But I'm hoping by the time that gets underway at the end of August, everything will be A-OK. We have five qualifying events. It's a points race. Uh, it's boys and girls competing against one another. It's scaled T's for the girls. Um, and as of right now, there are a total of four tour exemptions on offer and it looks as though this week that will be now five. Um, there's a hell of a lot to play for. I mean, I'm extremely proud of uh, how far we've um, we've come along in the space of 12 to 18 months. Uh, but, to you know, to have – you mentioned I spoke to Adam about it the other day. We did a little recorded piece that went up on Twitter and, uh, you know, even he was saying that the opportunity to compete for those tour spots, I mean, essentially these kids – playing the Junior Sixers Invitational could theoretically play their way onto the tour here, whether it be the men's tour or the women's tour. Um, you know, we saw, you, you were up there at Bonneville, we saw uh, Steph win that ladies' classic and all of a sudden she's got a ladies' European tour card and uh, the exemptions that the girls are playing for, their are L.E.T. events. So you can go from the Junior Series here in Australia to onto the ladies' European tour if you're good enough and it's those pathways that um, I'm trying to create going forward, because you know, outside of the Australian junior champion being given an invitation into the Australian Open, which is a great opportunity, to, the, the ability to be able to have multiple tour exemptions on offer, it just gives it just gives the kids more chances to um, you know achieve their dream.
0: Steph Kiriaki barely out of junior, mm. <laughs> junior, th- yeah. junior ranks herself. Why do you do it, Ewan? You're making a fortune. What's I'm making golf? zero. It's actually costing me <laughs> money doing
2: this. But um, I think I, I realised about two or three years ago, I went through the whole period of when I quit, when I quit playing. I hate golf. I don't want a thing to do with it. Um, I realised over time that it gave me everything. I turned pro at 19. My entire adult existence has been golf, whether it's playing, whether it's writing, whether it's broadcasting, whatever it is, golf has just taken me to some incredible places. I've met some incredible people. Uh, nothing else would have given me these opportunities and uh, it's just, it's my way of giving back and it's not just the Junior Series, I'm still working hard on uh, on trying to get a new tour event underway here in Australia that's taking some time given the current global climate and what we're experiencing but I'm confident that we can get something happening there in the next couple of months but um, you know, it's uh, I don't know whether in 10, 15, 20 years time that I want to be a tournament promoter per se but just having fingers in a few different pies and uh, it all involving the game of golf uh, excites me. I
1: mean, ironically, you seem to have fallen back in love with golf yourself, haven't you, buying retro clubs and getting out yeah. there and playing? And
2: Yeah, absolutely. I've I, I said that to, I've said that to a few people lately, that I don't think anything will ever replace the pure childhood enthusiasm that I had for the game. But right now, I'm probably as close to that as I've ever been. It's absolutely not a chore, I'm waking up and I actually want to go and play golf and I haven't experienced that for years.
0: Well, it's the, it's the scorecard in the pocket. Isn't it? Clates has talked about this a lot. You know, he says, I get why people want to play comp every time they go and play, for amateurs, but do yourself a favour occasionally. Just forget about the score. and Just hit the shots. Play the shots and enjoy the course and look and think about the game differently. You'll see a perspective that's really kind of important because you've had, over time, you've had your issues with the game, haven't you? You were a very intense player. And you certainly yeah. rode the roller coaster. The highs were high, but the lows were low, weren't they? And for somebody who's prone to that, golf might not be the best pursuit because it'll beat you up like no other.
2: Yeah, no question. Uh, I burnt myself out by by my late twenties, and uh, that's unusual in golf, as you know. Most people keep going till their mid thirties, forties, fifties, even. And uh, you know, I, there's. It wasn't physically; it was it was mentally that I was done. I mean, I was I was done. 2009 I mean I won in 2008 I took three months off in 2009 came back and won in 2010 and then it was only a year and a half two years after that that I was officially done with it I mean it was um yeah you you can't do that it's 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 not conducive to longevity by riding that emotional roller coaster but that's my natural personality and it was hard to um it was hard to get away from that but I am doing something now that um, that I love, and uh, I, I wouldn't. I would do things differently if I was to continue playing, but I wouldn't change anything because it's led me to where I am now.
0: We often say this in golf, don't we? Oh, if Mickelson was just a bit more conservative, if you'd had two, you'd have two U.S. O's, Yeah, we well, might have no Masters as well.
1: He doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he doesn't know how to play other than to be Phil no, Mickelson. That, that's so exactly yeah,
0: right. It works for him. It's one of the great conundrums of golf, isn't it, Ewan? That you know, you it, 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 you need to have a level head about it, but you kind of can't because the game (laughs) drives you insane. It may be. We all think we run our lives. We all think that we're in charge of everything, don't we? But then we sort of wake up sometimes and go, how do I end up here? And it turns out that other forces are at play. Golf might be a better game for you not pursuing a professional career any further.
2: I think so. Um, You know, you said before that you you looked at my style of golf, my game of golf as someone that could take the world by storm. And I've had – when I was playing, I had people say the same thing. And I as, as I said to you, I never really truly believed that myself. I mean, even as a junior as an am, and as an amateur, I, I really didn't play that many four-round tournaments. We had a lot of 18-hole events. We had a lot of 36-hole events. Okay, I might have won a lot of those and shot some uh, low numbers. But it's a completely different kettle of fish when you're playing four-round tournaments week after week, 30 weeks a year, all over the world. Um, competing against the best in the game and I actually you know people think I underachieved I almost look back and think I overachieved because I, I had that um, I had that sprint mentality not a marathon and uh, to have won twice over four rounds under very difficult conditions on a, on a, on difficult golf courses and having played a few major championships I'm a lot more proud of that today than what I what I was when uh, it was actually happening. At
1: the time that, that one at Moona was brutal, wasn't yeah. it? It's like, hard enough to string together a few pars in a row, let alone <laughs> that's exactly seventy-two holes worth of good golf. Yeah. yeah. What
0: What do you think? What does that tell us then about the scoring that we, this week the cut was four under on the
1: PGA Tour? Well, seriously and that's oh, in the And so they're they're they? playing as we speak but the the scores are insane this morning they're yeah. way under par pull well, on that
2: on that golf course uh, particularly because i mean i've been to harbor town i've played it and you pretty much walk single file down every single fairway i mean it is claustrophobic it it is so narrow uh, you know the the corn ferry tour this week I played that golf course, King and Bear in Florida, the World Golf Village. I played that at second stage of Q School in 2003. And it took, I think, seven under par was the top 20 to move on to the final stage. Well, the cut was almost seven under par this week. I mean, it was one spot away from being seven under par. And I think 26 under won it. Brett Coletta finished 18 or 20 under, and he wasn't inside the top 10. I mean, it just ridiculous, really.
1: Yeah. I think Scott Hend might have said a bit about this in your thing about golf podcast with him, about how when he got on tour, he was pretty good. Twelve under he could shape, a... shape the ball and do things that he thought were pretty impressive, but he was used to playing on hard surfaces and things like that. But then he got, and there, there's like a hundred blokes in a field at, on the Corn Ferry tour who can just knock the pin out all day. And he, he was bewildered by that. But at the same time, there was this this uh, entitled culture. I think you talked about about these guys who are just so single minded in their uh, approach to the game, and when they get on tour, um, they they it's all about them, and it, there's a selfishness to it. Is that something you encountered as well, Ewan, or is that something you felt like you needed to actually adopt yourself to in order to succeed over there?
2: Yeah, it's funny you should bring that up because um, when I played golf with Lucas Herbert on Friday, we were talking about that. For quite a few holes during the round, and um, it's not—it's not like you want to be selfish, but everything does revolve around you because the team of people you've got around you, whether it's one person or ten people, everything's being dictated by your schedule and your career. So, um, like it or not, you become quite selfish. And uh, I'm Lucas. Even said to me, "He said you sound like you're apologetic for being selfish uh, when you were a player and." I am because I felt like as a golfer, I wasn't the best human being that I could be. And uh, now that I look back at that, I, yes, I mean, that's very, very true. I mean, everything everything became about me, every phone conversation, every dinner conversation. It was all about me and my career. And uh, I am a little bit uh, guilty about, um, about that fact, but um, at least I've had the opportunity to learn from that and uh, try and be a, a listener now instead of a talker.
0: It's a tough juggle, isn't it, Ewan? And it's something that I think Lucas, not sure totally he struggles with it, but he certainly thinks about it. Uh, he's extremely confident, brash in some ways, cocky at times, much better, in fact, I think, since he won in Dubai. And in his own mind, he doesn't need to, to put on such a show. But that's a delicate balance. You must be confident and you must have an ego if you're going to climb into the pool with Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka. But at the same time, you don't want to be cocky, brash, arrogant, and unlikable. It's a tough balance, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. Um, And even with Scotty, who's the nicest guy out there, I mean, there has to be an element of of not just self-belief. I mean, it has to be skyrocketing self-belief. You have to believe Mm. that you're the best in the world and – and I want agree, to compete, Lucas,
0: but, and and want to compete, want to beat other people.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that, you have got to have that mongrel, that competitive. It is a bit mongrel, of mongrel, isn't it? Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, you have to have it, and I don't know if that's something that can be taught. Um, I think you just have to be born with it and and grow up loving the game and and wanting to win. Mm. Uh, and you know that shows no sign of abating for Adam, and he's 40 next next month.
0: Yeah, how's Lucas? How's Lucas playing? How's he hitting? It?
2: Oh. Yeah, just so well. I mean, to have played golf with him and Scotty in the past week, it's um, it's no surprise that they've both won this year. It's, um, it's a clinic being out there watching them. Uh, Adam's driving is uh, better chair. than anyone's in the world. And yeah. uh, Lucas, um, I think Lucas has got an incredible short game. And, of course, he hits the ball brilliantly and very long as well. But... Um, I love the way uh, I love the way he chips and parts. It's um, I think he's going to win a lot more times.
0: Yeah, he's a better player than I gave him credit for early in his career. Lucas and I yeah. had a few he's run certainly- ins over time, but he's proved me wrong. I've got lots of egg on my face. So good on you, Lucas. Yeah. Thanks for that. Enjoy that while you while you can. Playing with the two of them, can you see the differences? Adam, of course, is number six in the world, or he was when. The, the COVID hit. I think Lucas is probably down in the eighties or somewhere. I think he's inside the top hundred. I may be wrong about that, but can you spot the differences as a fellow pro? Cause they're yeah, minuscule, yeah, cause look, aren't they? It's,
2: it's minute. I would say observing it T to green, I would say Adam probably has a little bit more control of his ball flight and maybe a greater arsenal of shots T to green, but it's, it's, it's not that big a difference. Um, God, I mean, you, you're clutching at straws trying to find something. But I would say, if I had to, if I had to pick something, they're probably the, the key differences. I mean, I, I I think I think Lucas is a better chipper and pitcher of the ball and a, and a better putter. Um, it, it's 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 not much. I think if you just I think because of Adam's experience, I think if you put them in the same twenty or twenty five tournaments a year. I think Adams probably going to come out ahead 70 to 80% of the time purely based on that experience.
0: This year in 5 years time it might be different mightn't it it's uh, it's a it's yep. a it's a funny thing isn't it. Uh, uh, someone once likened it to poker which I thought was an interesting analogy. In any given hand a rank amateur can beat the world's best poker player. In any given 18 holes Lucas Herbert could easily beat Adam Scott and may do quite often. But over 72 holes 15 times a year the differences will show. And that's that marathon element of gold that you were talking about, wasn't it? You know, it's Absolutely. One shot here, I mean, you, half you've, only shot there. At, you've only got
2: to look at uh, Nick O'Hearn, the only player yeah. to ever beat a Tiger, Tiger <laughs> twice in match play. Yeah.
0: If Tiger's listening, we mention that so often, he's probably stopped listening. I reckon there'd be few things in
1: the world irk him more than that Nick O'Hearn beat him twice and wrote a book about we'll it. have to work on Nick O'Hearn's Twitter bio because I reckon that should be featuring in there somewhere. Well, he's
0: but quite humble, Nick. He's not one that brags about it. Though. I think he, he certainly enjoys it. But it was, Did you read his book, by the way, Ewan? Nick O'Hearn's book is phenomenal. You, it, it's not quite Rotella, but gee, there's some really interesting stuff in there. Here's a guy whose first ever lesson as a pro with his longtime coach, Neil I love Smith. That story. <laughs> he turned up and Neil Smith was finishing something. I think it was Neil Smith. Yeah, he was finishing with another student and said, I'll uh, oh, just wait a minute, I'll be there, and then hit some balls, I'll come over. And he came over and Nick's hit a couple of balls, and Neil said to him, Did you say you're a pro? <laughs> With his opening <laughs> cabinet. <laughs> uh, and Neil's done very nicely out of Nick Earn's career ever since, I'm sure. Hello, people. I hope you're enjoying our chat with Ewan. Sure, it took two goes to get it right, but we all make mistakes. Speaking of mistakes, make sure you avoid making one by checking out the range at thegolfsociety.com.au. Women's and men's, the very best brand names in apparel, shoes and accessories, and all in the one convenient Online location. If you're keen for a discount, and let's be honest, who isn't, use the URL thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash talk and golf. That's thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash talk golf. You'll get a $25 store credit off your first purchase. That's thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash talk and golf and claim your store credit today. Now, back to you and Porter. Now, you mentioned you were trying to get a, a tour event off the ground. I won't ask you too many sort of details about that, but what I will ask you about, you had a tweet that we talked about last time, which was, this is what it reads. Intriguing proposition, which this is. A 72 hole professional stroke play tournament held at the following courses. Randwick par 59, Bondi par 56, Sefton par 54, and Marrickville par 60. What's the winning score? I say no better than minus 12. I can't recall, but I reckon you would have been trolled heavily for that. Why do you think minus 12, and who's the field? Might be important too. Not all professional fields are equal.
1: And in case anybody's wondering about those golf courses, they're Suburban Sydney Sub- golf, course. suburban Sydney golf course. Quirky he would describe small, small greens, yeah, yeah. tiny yeah. greens, yeah. but not particularly
0: smooth, not particularly quick for a lot of the lot of the time. What's you what yeah. you're thinking there? I think it would be an intriguing idea as well. I don't think most probably Absolutely,
2: yeah, no question about it. I mean, uh, I, I still think in the future there's um, there's there's definitely an, there's definitely an opportunity to do something. Maybe not those four golf courses, but similar theme. Mm-hmm. I think the difficulty being. With, with all of it, is logistics for production, mm-hmm. um, if you are going to put it on television. If it wasn't going to be a TV event, I mean, you could definitely do it. Um, I didn't get trolled too much on the score. Uh, some people were even saying minus six, minus seven would be the winning score, and that wouldn't surprise me. You touched on it. Small greens, perhaps not the best, uh, the best lies out there. Um, obviously, you're going to get a bit of wind at Bondi and, uh, and, and Ramwick. Uh, I think it's fascinating to think of. I mean, I know when I used to play uh, early on in my career, when I played pro-ams at courses like Bardwell Valley, um, Beverly Park that, uh, you know, at public golf courses and, well, Beverly Park's a par 70, but I think Bardwell Valley was a par 62. You had, um, you know, you had the likes of Lucas Parsons and Peter O'Malley and Lonard who were playing those and, very rarely did they ever shoot under par and I couldn't fathom it that these guys were some of the best golfers in the world and they'd shoot three over par around Bardwell Valley when I shot that as the 13 year old I, I I couldn't understand it but I think when you get so accustomed to playing golf courses on tour that are over 7,000 yards long and fairly wide targets big greens it's a it's a culture shock to an extent when you come back and play golf courses that um you know you're hitting a those first two holes at Marrickville, over 200 metres long when you're hitting a, a long iron or a wood into a green that's the size of a 10-cent piece. You miss it. You're making bogey all day or, or worse. So, um, yeah, I think it would uh, it, it would be very, very interesting. I think golfers would be in for a rude shock. I think there'd be a lot more scores over par than under par.
0: How much is that to, is to do with condition, and We see the golf courses week in and week out on television, and they are nothing less than perfect. Uh, everybody wants their golf course to look amazing and the technology exists now. Every golf course looks like Augusta every week. That's not very real golf, is it? And you're right. You, you go from that to come up to Mangrove and get a lump of Parramatta grass behind the ball. Yeah, particularly around the care, greens. Yeah, that's right. I don't care who children. you are. That's no
2: fun. Yeah, <laughs> that's- I was a member of the Lakes Golf Club in Sydney for seven years and, you know, not that the Lakes was ever in poor condition at all, um, far from it, but, you know, for the general public, They only ever saw the lakes when the Greg Norman tournament was Mm -hmm. held there or an Australian Open, and um, the reality is that it was only ever in that condition for one or two weeks a year. The rest of the time it was good. You know, it it wasn't amazing. It wasn't immaculate. So you get spoiled, um, and it's a little bit of a – perhaps a little misleading when you see week in, week out on television courses across the world as immaculate as they are because that's just – Really
1: not a reality. It's funny. We as amateurs beat ourselves up with the chipping, for example, when we've got this cuppy little lie yeah. on on tacky clay <laughs> and a tiny green and not much green not much of it to work with and you know, we'll we'll double chip or something ridiculous. Why are you looking at me? Well, no, I did I did it like three or four times at the <laughs> but weekend. So, good. <laughs> so, but and, and most of the time the mindset really should be just anywhere on the green's anything, good. Anything airborne is a good result here. But then I you know, I think we were chatting the other day about Watching Brooks Kepka in the Shinnecock Hills uh, US Open, where on the 11th, I think it was, where he he didn't even think he could get it on the green. He didn't. He was playing for a front bunker from a chip shot mm. and it just chipped it into the bunker more, and then got realistic. up and down out of the bunker. <laughs> more realistic Best player in the world. the world. Yeah.
0: What's going on? Yeah. Uh, uh, there's two things about that that I'm interested in. Firstly, how much of the scoring we just talked about we see on the tour and the Corn Ferry tour is to do with that setup and the way the courses are set up and is that good for the game? And then. Secondly, that image that the game is promoting week in and week out, it's absolutely understandable at a course-to-course level. Those courses want to look their best for television. How much potential damage does that do to the game outside of golf in particular? Because that's the image non-golfers have of golf.
2: Yeah, I think I, I agree that it, it definitely does do a bit of damage because that dispersion, the disparity between the top professionals and your average club golfer – appears to be getting further and further away, scoring-wise, how far people are hitting it. Um, it's unrealistic. You know, your, your, member, your average member of a golf club looks at the Corn Ferry scores this week and sees that 20-something, 28-under-par wins at the cut, 6-7-under-par. You know, they're hitting it 340, 350 yards. Um, even myself watching the Heritage this week, I mean, having been there, and I, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, I, I wouldn't break par around there because it's just it's so narrow yet four unders the cup and everyone's shooting 63 but they're playing it in a dome basically no wind they're playing it soft soft um, it's warm the balls going further it's um, they're getting the best conditions week in week out and you've only got to look at when uh, the players came down to the president's Cup last year the best golfers in the world and who's the one player that, that stood out that week because he knew how to play those conditions whereas everyone else was a little bit unfamiliar with it. And I think if the players played golf courses similar to the Sandbelt or Lynx golf courses uh, week in, week out, or even just in the US, even just your old school country clubs where there are small greens and tight fairways, the scores are never going to be as low as what they are now. You're still you're gonna get maybe twelve to fifteen under winner. The cut might be even par one under. And the ability to hit the ball 330, 340 yards. It's not as big an advantage on those style of golf courses as what it is, the ones we're watching on television.
0: Is the tour manipulating it? Bryden McPherson told us on this podcast, or might have been the ISEQ podcast last year, he feels that the tour is deliberately setting up courses to encourage those lower scores and that that mindset has moved from the Corn Ferry Tour now to the PGA Tour because the PGA Tour believe that what people want to see is birdies. Do you believe that that is what people want to see? And do you think... That Bryden might be. I think Scott Henton hinted at a similar thing. It's just, it's a putting comp every week. That's how the pros is grow. It's a putting comp. The guy who puts well is going to win.
2: The tournament officials can, they're smart enough. They know how to set up golf courses so that even par will win, mm-hmm. 15 under will win, or 25 under will win. They, they they know exactly how to set it up for that that type of scoring. Um, I don't want to see even par an even par grind win week in week out because you do want a bit of an entertainment value but on the other end of the spectrum i don't want to see 25 under win every week because it makes everyone else feel inferior uh, and it's it's just not reality uh, you know 12 10 anywhere from 10 to 15 under par you set up a golf course for that to be the winning score you're still going to, you're still going to have a logjam of players vying for the victory and that's all we want to see we want to see a good competition with multiple players battling it out to see who wins if it's 10 under, awesome. If it's 25 under week in, week out,
0: that's a bit too much. Uh, a bit less. So you touched on Royal Melbourne last year and Tiger Woods. I wanted to get your thoughts, Adrian. What's more – and I know the answer, that's why I'm asking. What's more entertaining to watch, Tiger at Royal Melbourne last year or the field
1: this week at Hilton Head? Well, certainly take Tiger every day of the week at Royal Melbourne. Um, the 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 thing I think you've got – I think you're giving them too much credit, Rod, with regards – what they're trying to achieve with uh, the tour, yeah, with the setups and and trying to score lower and lower. To me, that's what you would get as a strategy from like just meeting at the start of the season and you know having a committee decide. Well, how are we going to try and set the courses up this year? It's the it's the first thing that would occur to you is I oh, will make it soft and. Ship the sand in every week so that every bunker's got the same sand throughout the entire season, and will stipulate the the heights of the roughs, and the heights of the fairways, and the heights of the greens, and the speeds of the greens. We'll just standardise the whole thing. That's that's what you would come up with, with the bare minimum of thought. Right? Right.
0: <laughs> they're not they're not twirling their mustaches no, in the back room. Is this what you're telling no, me? No.
1: <laughs> if you really think hard, if you if you have if you really put your mind to it, you would come up with Royal Melbourne. But the the like the bare minimum of thought, if a, with a committee meeting at the start of a year and deciding what they're going to do about course setups, they would come up with this stuff. This this boring. So here's what's safe, interesting. It's Ewan. very safe. safe. That's right. It's vanilla, and it's yeah. it's what it is is sellable. Yeah.
0: So here's the question. In golf, it feels to me, Ewan, it almost it doesn't matter what issue you talk about, be it equipment, be it courses, be it club memberships and whatever it is, it's the business of golf gets in the way of the game of golf. What we saw at Royal Melbourne was golf in its purest, most beautiful form, and it was incredibly entertaining to watch. Mm -hmm. When you try to manipulate it and make the business of golf, you get the cart before the horse, you get this PGA Tour mentality, for want of a better term, where they decide what people want to see and they try to manipulate things to make that happen.
2: Well, to an to an extent, it's the same with um, television. You know, you look back to the Australian tour back in the seventies and eighties. Jack Nicholas won an Australian Open at Royal Hobart. Um, he shot a course record at Manly, the course I grew up at, and at, uh, at Cronulla. Gary Player played the Caltex Masters there in nineteen seventy. What what would the chances be of any Aussie tour event being at any of those venues anymore?
1: It's I mean, amazing to think Jack Nicklaus played all- Manly.
2: <laughs> I would always say no, no chance because you just can't, you just can't um, logistically run a professional tournament there, and um, it's a bit of a pity. It's a shame.
0: Has it been good for the game? So this is the overall question because it seems to me this is the disconnect between professional golf is that we
1: just- <laughs> that was a <the> sight. <laughs> just paint a word picture. There's there.
0: a uh, there's a disconnect there, isn't there, between professional golf and real golf? And if we accept that the audience is golfers, and this is my point, some disagree with me. I think the audience for golf is golfers. I don't think non-golfers really watch golf that much. I don't know that you're going to convince them to. So, is it a good thing for the game? Is that a sensible way forward?
2: Yeah. Well, they uh, they definitely appear to be doing everything, don't they, to um, to try and encourage viewership, new viewership all the time. Try and get mm. people into the game. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's a niche sport, isn't it? I mean, really, at the end of the day, it's um, it's a sport people get into and they love. Uh, I, yeah, I agree with you. I'd be, I'd be focusing more on the hardcore golfer. Yeah. Um, I don't need to, they, I don't think they need to try and commercialise it to an extent where it just sort of becomes a sellout, so to speak.
0: Yeah, it's different to all other sports, isn't it, Adrian? This is what I keep coming back to with golf. I was going, I, I've partly written a piece this week for Golf Australia, their website. I don't want golf to become a bash game. Because there's already plenty of bash games.
1: Yeah, are you trying to workshop your piece here? Is that
0: a little? Yeah, <laughs> help me out. Do you know uh, what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, golf, the appeal of golf to me has always been it's not a bash sport. I'm actually the bash sports don't do it for me. I don't watch football, yeah. cricket, baseball, tennis to a certain
1: degree. There's other elements to golf that make it more interesting. It Absolutely. is more cerebral. It's so is much more. There's so much effort to playing the game, like. Bryson DeChambeau as well. Like, when I stand over the ball, I actually don't want to put that much energy into every swing. Oh, I get too tired. We're old. But that's right. Um, and I think you and I have commented uh, maybe on the on the show before that the way we sort of aspire to play is a little bit like Mike Clayton plays, where you're just sort of pushing the ball down the fairway. That, that's, that's actually That is unfair. underselling Clayton in a huge <laughs> that, that, way. That's but an yes, unfair sort of representation. Think. He hits it where he, he's looking and he's just moving the ball forward. It's always in front of him and – you know you can you can plot your way around a course in a very strategic way without overcoming the course with physical prowess and in a way you know we always everyone it's become a bit of a cliche to refer to the LPGA tour or any of the women's tours in this manner that the golfers can relate to it like a, the average golfer can relate to it which is also doing the women's tours a, a massive disservice service. absolutely um, however, there's a lot to learn from the way they play because, in in a sense, they play a lot like Mike Clayton plays, where it just moves the ball forward, looks where you know it goes where they hit, where they're looking, and they're keeping it in play, and it's going a hell of a lot further than you and I can hit it. Um, but nonetheless, they're not overpowering golf courses, and uh, it's something it, I find it much more interesting to look at than Bryson DeChambeau. I don't mind well, I, looking I, at Bryson I, I on the, social media. I think it's funny.
2: Sorry, Adrian, just on that note, I think that um, from what I understand, in the US the LPGA viewership went up quite considerably last year, and one of the determining factors for that is that apparently the, the public feel like they can relate a lot more mm. to the women's game than what they do the men. And I'm talking about men watching yes. as well, not, not women.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: And, men are and if I want to watch someone bash it, I'll watch The Long Drive, which is on TV.
1: And and it's very entertaining as well. I I quite like that long drive, but I don't think it's got any place translating that across into... Well, does it? Here's the
0: thing. We we find it confronting, but does it? Bryson DeChambeau may be showing us that, in fact, it does. The great fear has been for a long time, Ewan, that a long driver would learn to chip and putt, and then you'd have Gary Player's mythical 400-yard hitter just turning the game into something that we don't recognise, a wee... Do we need to rethink our own position on this stuff as well?
2: Yeah. um, You know, Adam was saying the other day that, uh, you know, he feels like the way Bryson has been playing the last couple of weeks and what he's doing um, is conducive to playing well week in, week out, except for the majors. He still feels like strategy uh, will win out time and time again in a major championship. But aside from that... Bryson can go out there and hit his 380, 400-yard drives and it uh, doesn't really matter, matter whether he's that accurate because he can just gouge his wedge onto the green and uh, have a better chance for a birdie than what old mate with a six-iron from the fairway is going to have.
0: It's confronting, isn't it? When Rory McElroy is using expletives to his caddy to describe what they're watching. How they're magnificent, wasn't it? genuinely confronting, isn't it? That well, th- Golf as a game needs to really think about because there are kids out there now. We know that Cameron Champ will be the norm in 10 years. That's how these things work. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Snead begat Nicholas, (laughs) begat Daly, begat Woods. We know how these things work. So Champ's driving distance will be the new norm. DeChambeau's gone past that so far to this stage. So the game needs to think about whether that's the direction we want to go. It is regulatable. It's not easy, but it is regulatable, isn't it? Are you on the side that says we need to think about regulation?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I I I get why, from an entertainment perspective and the business side of it, that they want to see not, not so much courses obsolete, but I get why they want to see Bryson and Champ and these guys hitting it so far because it's there's an element of entertainment to it. But I think amongst the hardcore golf fans, I think they want to see more what we were describing before with Tiger and Royal Melbourne and uh, and the pure. You know, fundamentals of the game of being able to create different golf shots and uh, how the game was originally meant to be played. I think I would like to see um, week in, week out tournament golf. Get back to that
0: to some extent. Yeah. We're thinking about McDonald's like nutritionists. The PGA Tour is thinking like McDonald's head office because it is like fast food. It's incredibly entertaining for a bit. Ultimately, it's not satisfying. But McDonald's is an incredibly successful business, Adrian.
1: Yeah, well, it, and it's based on con- that consistency again. So you know, you can, wherever you go, you're going to get a consistent get the product same thing. And there's that homogenized thing again. It's inter- just one thought on Bryson there and why uh, a tremendously long hitter isn't necessarily – hasn't necessarily done well before. I, I think there's this situation where if, if you're too long and that's the one-dimensional thing that you've got, you, you're missing greens. Well, we saw it with Sadlowski. He came to Australia and played Exactly. You're missing it. greens in very unusual places off to the sides of greens, like 20 metres to the side of left or right of a green. That's a far more difficult shot than 90 metres short of the green, um, or like in the, in the fairway. And the thing that Bryson seems to be doing, at least in these couple of tour events we've been observing him in, he's it's he's keep, he's keep well uh, he's keeping his ball about yeah. ninety meters short of the green on most of these really super long par fours because uh, that's you know that's just kind of that's where he's just hitting it. But when the par fours are a little shorter, like we're seeing this week, he's not actually hitting it up next, next to, to the, the green. He's still hmm. leaving it a little bit short. He's laying up sometimes, it, and yeah, you know, he's, he's just playing smart. But I am looking forward to him being humiliated in the majors. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh I just I think back to that when he was throwing all these toys out of the cot at the British Open uh, a couple of years oh, ago. I'd love <laughs> to see that again. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> Why do we love a car accident? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can't
0: uh, we can't help it. Coming. Speaking of which, so you we, we touched on it earlier. You've gone backwards. What's with the retro gear? And how's your relationship with golf changed now that you don't have the pressure of the scorecard? How'd you go playing with Adam and Lucas last week? Do you can't help it but think? Well, hang on a minute. <laughs> like, I might have a chance yeah. on this hole. Or how does that work? Yeah.
2: My my round with Adam at um, Pridgian Springs was interesting because his dad, Phil, designed the golf course, his only golf course design, and Adam had actually never played it. Um, <laughs> that would be. <laughs> and, you know, we were joking, a couple of holes he hit it in the wrong spots, and you know, he'd have a joke that it was a poor design. But, um, yeah, look, that was my first game in a couple of months. And, uh, you know, of course, I didn't want to go out there and embarrass myself. I hadn't played with Adam for over a decade so, um, I didn't play the best, but I did go five under the last four holes, and he only got me by a shot in the end. Nice. but um, it was it was a fun day. Um, and I still want I, every time I go out, I still want to play well. I don't think I'll ever lose that competitive nature, but I'm certainly taking everything in a lot more these days. I'm taking in the design of the course, I'm taking in the weather, the nature, just everything that goes with being outside and and playing a round of golf, and that's something that I uh, never ever did while I was playing on tour. And as far as the retro equipment is concerned, I've had a couple of games now with um, with what I have, and I actually added to the um, I added to the collection last week when uh, Ian Baker Finch's old golfsmith blades from the nineties, an obscure brand from the US, were lying in the back of the um, the shed, the work shed over here at Twin Waters, and uh, I got permission to to have those. And I, I, I hit them once last week and they're beautiful clubs, but to be honest, Finchy, I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised that he started struggling because these clubs have got their lead tape on the back. They're an inch long. They've got extra stiff shafts, the sweet spots, the size of a five cent piece. I mean, they are so difficult to hit, but there's, it's actually fun uh, tr- trying to learn to hit them because I actually think that uh, it helps get your swing naturally into better positions
0: how do they go with the modern ball it's the big difference if you don't have the ballada ball but and the better a player you are the bigger impact i think this has without the ballada ball those things are really hard to get airborne yeah, aren't they yeah
2: yeah look i, I think I, I think overall the golf ball is probably the one that's made the biggest difference because when i've i've got a um, titus pt driver and i've got a taylor made tour burner driver which you know the heads are actually the heads on those are smaller than my current 3 would. And you know you've got to tee it down very very low. Um, and when I flush those drivers, and, and the PT has a steel shaft, I'm only ten to fifteen meters short of what my current driver um, goes. But it's the ballada ball that I probably lose another ten or fifteen meters on top of that. But the big thing is the miss hits. Yeah. The miss hits go absolutely nowhere and they go sideways. Well, they do for me anyway. And 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 you don't um, you know you don't get too much of that with the modern equipment.
0: Yeah. I wonder whether you'd agree with this. I've had a bunch of pros tell me, and I think this really is for the plus markers and the pros more the reality that, that the size of the driver head means it's now the easiest club to hit. So 25, 30 years ago, a pro would stand on the first tee a bit nervous. Well, you wouldn't reach for the driver. You might reach for the two iron or the three wood, smaller again, but without the same breath. Now, the only club to go for is the driver. Do you agree with that? If you've got a good technique – Think, oh, totally. There's no a question huge about change it. in the game, isn't it? Massive yeah, no change.
2: question about it. And, and it's actually – it's a very, it's, it's a very very different technique hitting the driver now to what it was in the 90s or even the early 2000s because it was much more of a sweep then with the lower tee. Now, I mean, you tee it up high and you have to hit it on the up to hit it on the upper half of the club face, which is the sweet spot. And, you know, you, you're hitting it more essentially from behind the ball versus being on top of it just a completely different technique and I think what you're seeing now is a lot of really good drivers of the ball there are no bad drivers of the ball now but there probably aren't as many good iron players because the technique back in the 90s was so similar right through the bag now hitting an iron is completely different to hitting a wood because you still have to hit down on the iron and compress it you can't do that with a wood
1: yeah it's interesting Sergio Garcia is the one that comes to mind of of having that swing that works right through the bag and you know, and at it for a time there, he was considered maybe the, one of the longest, straightest drivers in the world. But that's passed him by now. Well, he's old.
0: Yeah. So where's the money to be made? You is it with the irons or with the driver? Because we're seeing a generation of players who seem to believe, and a, and a tour that we are suggesting is encouraging that the drivers where the money's to be made.
2: Is yeah, well, your average your average, average punter, every everybody wants to hit the ball a long way, don't they? So unless they regulate. The drivers, I mean, I can't see the um, the desire for the public to go out and get the latest, greatest piece of equipment that's going to give them an extra ten meters. I can't see that waning anytime soon.
0: But as a pro, where's the money? Is it's it, it, Are we kidding ourselves? Is the money still really to be made? I saw the stats on Tiger once, which was from one seventy five to two hundred yards. He was strokes gained plus four hundred thousand against the field every week. Mm-hmm. He was clearly the best. Is that still the case, or is the driver a more important part of the game now as a professional? To succeed is what Bryson's doing, take the emotion out of it. Does it make sense?
2: Uh, as, as a professional, I'd still much rather ha- – I would personally much rather have a, a good short game because there aren't really too many poor ball strikers anymore, and if you've got that good short game, that can that can really cover a lot of flaws. I, I would take Jordan Spies putting – um, or bads is putting any day of the week. There's no question about it. I think you're going to stay out there a lot longer. There are – you look at the guys that don't keep their cards every year and, you know, most of those guys hit the ball well in excess of 300 yards, so you've still got to have a complete game.
0: Yeah. Well, how far is uh, Adam hitting it compared to Lucas? He's still long, isn't he, Adam, up there?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say pro- – oh, yeah, Lucas probably maybe just a hair longer, but pretty, uh, pretty similar. I'd – Adam just hits this tight little draw every time with the same trajectory. Lucas does have that little bit of draw as well. But, again, being really, really critical, I'd say Lucas probably hits a couple of drives that have a little bit too much spin on it uh, compared to what um, what Adam has. But
0: It's a very modern action, Lucas, isn't it? It's a much more violent action than what Adam's got. Adam's more of a transitioned player from playing the clubs you're talking about as a youngster into the bigger-headed drives. Lucas has grown up with the big-head driver, and that's the action is – a much more violent move. At the
2: yeah, point. and I look, I don't think you can, I don't like the comparisons between the modern golfer and that of yesteryear either, because, you know, if Jack Nicholas grew up with today's technology, he wouldn't have swung it that same way or vice versa with Lucas. So, you know, you can only go with what you have now and you can't say one's better than the other. No. I mean, it just, you've you got to appreciate what we have now and what we had then.
0: Yeah, the players can only answer the questions asked, can't they? None of this is a criticism of players, Adrian. It sometimes comes across as that. It's mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. They're answering the questions
1: being asked, as did players of previous generations. That's right. They're they're optimised for the challenge that's presented yep. to them, and uh, and yeah, the
0: rewards are pretty good. Absolutely. Lucas Herbert's already made more money in his career than I've made in mine, and I'm thirty <laughs> years older. He's already got me, so it's, it's lucrative, and, and and that's part of what appeals to. to and it's and fair enough, so you can sort of understand it. Last one to finish up, and What's your outlook? I know what the answer is going to be, but I'm going to ask anyways. Optimistic about the game? Bleak about the game? Is it grim? Are we heading for hell in a handbasket? Is the sky going to fall in with Bryson DeChambeau and all this sort of stuff? And what we carry on about, or are we underestimating the resilience of the game and its
2: general appeal? yeah I, I I think the game of golf is in is in good stead. I think it's always i think as a whole, the game of golf is always going to be extremely appealing because people are always going to look to get outside and and play nine holes or hit a bucket of balls on the driving range. I think for your average golfer, it's going always going to be very appealing. Um, the membership side of things, you know I hope that does continue to grow into the future, but It is the only sport where people of all ages, all races, all demographics can get out there and compete and play against and with one another and conduct business. I mean, it will always be the greatest game in in that regard. And then as for the professional game, um, look, I hope it doesn't get too far down, you know, what we're seeing with Bryson. But, I mean, the answer to it generally is, you know, you you go back and you play the 7,000-yard golf courses that, don't require you to be a bomber of the golf ball, and uh, that generally brings everyone uh, back a peg. So I think I think we'll be fine. Yeah.
0: Unfortunately, the answer for regulation lies outside of professional golf. Yeah. The other complicating factor is it's not about what the PGA Tour may or may not want to do in terms of regulation. And if regulation comes, there's no law that says they have to follow it. So there's some interesting things to play out. Where can people find you on social media, Ewan, and where can they find out about your junior series, which I think is full marks to you is a – hell of a thing to have started and stuck with because that ain't easy forget about it costing you money just the time and the effort and the disappoint the constant disappointments when you deal with junior golf and the lack of interest from people within the game about it is full marks to you so where can people find you where can people find out about that
2: yeah thank you uh rod yeah you and ports at you and ports twitter and uh instagram and then uh on Instagram and uh, and Facebook, we have a Junior Sixers Invitational page just at Junior Sixers Invitational. We also have our website, junior SixersInvitational.com.au. Uh, the final will be held at Cronulla this year on October the 5th and the 6th. And, uh, you know, last year we had Hayden Hopewell defeated uh, Elvis Smiley in the boys' final. We had the Australian Junior Girls Champion, High Park. She lost in the final actually to uh, Belinda Jai from Concord. And, uh, you know, this year we're actually uh, – it's going to be 18 years and under, not under 18, and um, you're going to see the likes of Elvis Smiley and Hayden Hopewell and Cassie Porter and High Park and the best best young golfers around Australia teed up once again. And, uh, you know, there's Hayden Hopewell finished second at the WA Open last year. He contended at the Australian Open. So, uh, you know, there's a fair chance these guys are going to be on uh, the global radar in the next year or two.
0: Yeah. We call them amateurs, don't we? It's the wrong name. Yeah. There's got to be an in-between. I'm an Pro, amateur. Pros in waiting. <laughs> if I'm an amateur, Oliver Smiley is not an amateur. We do not play anything that's like the same game. So, uh, and can people come along and watch when the final comes up?
2: Yeah, please do. Yeah. We'll see uh, some good the golf. More, the, the more the merrier.
0: Yeah, you'll see some good golf. The, come uh, and take some yeah, photos. Guys. Yeah. Terrific initiative, Ewan. Thanks for taking some time today, mate. Best of luck with it. We'll have you back, no doubt, as time goes on. And we're always keen to uh, to promote the event when uh, when the opportunity arises. It's been great to talk to you today. Thanks for sharing some thoughts about the game. And, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
2: Likewise. Thanks, Rod. Thanks,
1: Adrian.
0: Fantastic. Yes, thank you, Adrian. Um, when are you going to finish my book? Next week, is it? Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. It'll all be marked up. And, yeah, i you know, have all the margins. You know, notes built. and the margins I'll, put and it, I'll get it framed. It'll
0: be worth something one day. Good to yep. chat to you today, as always. Thank you for your time. That's episode 32 and episode 37 combined in the record books. So good on us. And yes, I did press the record (laughs) button because I've just double checked. We'll be back to do it all again next week here on the Good
1: Good Golf Podcast.